values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Happy holidays. Uh, we appreciate you spending some time with us. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, now's a great time to do it. The Mike Broomhead Show podcast on your iPhone or your Android. It doesn't matter. It's simple to do. Never miss a minute of the show. And this week, the Mike Broomhead Show podcast is brought to you by my good friend, Carol Royce. Keller Williams Realty. Get a higher price selling your home and get guaranteed offers by going to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. Um... Uh, we've, we have a frequent guest on the show is Kristen Benz. As she joins me quite a bit. She is a retail analyst and a retail expert, and she keeps me informed on a lot of things behind the scenes. And uh, this got sent to me a tweet from Zero Hedge. Goldman Sachs plans to lay off thousands of employees due to difficult economic environment. Um, this is a tweet that went out today. Goldman Sachs job cuts follow significant hiring during the pandemic. So that's just one more step in that direction of what people are seeing is going to be happening in the future. Still looking at what's going on in the stock markets. The S&P NASDAQ are on track to lose for the second straight weekly loss. The S&P is down another 60 points right now. Uh, the Dow is down 457. Um, that is very difficult right now for them. Um, it is just a tough time. And the time is they're, they're, they're predicting the future. When the Fed came out yesterday and raised interest rates, 50 basis points again. And but said we're not done. That's the issue is is it's if this was we think this is going to fix the issue. There might be a wait and see thing. But when they say, listen, we understand this inflation fight isn't over. We've got a ways to go. There's going to be more things in the new year. Uh, People are concerned. And what they're concerned about is they're concerned that layoffs are going to start happening because a recession is going to start happening. The one thing that has kept this economy from really on, on a downhill slide has been the ability for people to work. Now, they're working much more. The statistics of people working second and third jobs are significant. And that is a real issue. When you have people working harder just for the bare necessities, you know, life in a booming economy largely is about discretionary income. And what I mean by that is your your ability, you understand, I mean, most people, there's varying degrees or varying policies on this, but you're supposed to, with some of your money, you're supposed to set it aside for short-term savings. You're supposed to have long-term savings and some kind of investments for retirement so that someday you can stop working. You know, you want home ownership. You want that home to be gaining equity. This is all. All things, these are all things that people do. And when you don't have money for short-term savings, you're worried about your long-term savings. You're watching the stock market plummet. Older people are going back to work. There's a story in front of me taking its toll. Seniors forcing to return to work. It, it, um, it features two people, an 85-year-old that's going back to work to make ends meet, a 76-year-old back in the workforce. There's also a story about adult children living with their parents in higher numbers because families are not able to make ends meet. So what you do is you move back in with family and you split expenses and you try to get back on your feet. That's difficult. And I don't wish this on anybody. And I've said before, and I mean it very sincerely, I hope that these experts that are saying some of these things are wrong. You know, the White House keeps saying we're not going to see a major recession. We may see a small one next year. But they also told us that inflation was going to be transitory. And a lot of these experts that were made these predictions are still in place. These are not people that got it so wrong that lost their jobs. And now we have new people we can rely on. I can tell you this. If the odds makers in Vegas got it as wrong as this administration got it when it comes to predictions, you wouldn't have a job in Vegas anymore. They would find other people. 
And this is where the Americans don't have a lot of confidence or trust. The American economy is is in a bad place. It just is. People are running up credit card debt. People's savings are at a 17-year low. People are working harder to make the make ends meet and get the basics. And again, when you have older people in the workforce and when you have older people at not just going back to work, but when you have older people, let's take somebody that's closer to retirement age right now that sees what's happening. If they work another two years or three years or four years to wait till we dig out of this hole and the stock market rebounds and gets back to where it was so that they're at the place where they have the money they need to retire. If it's going to take another three, four, five years for those people, that keeps jobs there where you're not having people on the entry level of the workforce. They're having trouble finding jobs because it's supposed to be sliding. I'm not going to be here forever. You know, I'm not going to be in this job forever. Who's who's out there that's going to end up uh, replacing me? Who? And it's not me specifically. It's anywhere. This is any corporation. Who are we training up to be the next generation? Well, once they're trained up and they're equipped and they're ready and they want the jobs and then the jobs aren't available, either A, they leave your country, your company. And I was going to say your country. They leave your company and they go somewhere else. So you've trained them. You've prepared them, and now there's not an opening for them, so they go somewhere else, and you've wasted all that time and money as far as your company is concerned, training somebody else for success at another place. Or or they are so discouraged because they're waiting longer and longer amounts of times to climb the ladder. And we all and I think bosses understand this as well. It's a difficult place for a boss to be in, whether you're a manager or you're an owner of a company. That when you have someone that you are looking at and you realize they are ready for more, they are ready for the next step, but that next step's not available for them. That's a tough place to be. We are seeing more and more of that, and what we should be doing is figuring out what we do to change this. Now, fuel prices have dropped. I I mentioned this earlier. That's a good thing, but we also are seeing the necessities are still outrageously high. We have got to get homes built. We have got to get the housing thing figured out here in the state of Arizona. And with a lot of the stuff we're seeing, I think it was in Germany, um, they are shutting down uh, farms because they're not complying With climate change goals. The number one issue for this president is climate change, our president. But there also is a a group of people around the world that that is their number one focus, believing that the planet is this close. It is on the precipice. It is on the edge of the cliff. And if we don't do some dramatic things right now, it's going to be over. Well, you know, it's I saw another story in Australia. They have wind farms. You know, they have those big wind farms Well, they're forcing those people to shut down the wind farms five months a year. Why? Parrots, because parrots are parrots are flying into the blades. So at what point do you look at some of those policies and say, you may think this is something we should be doing at a lightning speed. But if you look at what it's doing in the areas of our economy, it's hurting. We have a food shortage, but you're not allowing farmers to to use enough fertilizer to grow fruitful crops. We have less food, which drives up the cost of the necessities and the basics and the food. You know, again, I, this is not me. I'm not bragging at all. I'm stating a fact. I'm in a different place now in my life than I was 15 years ago. I, I'm, I, I live alone. I, I don't have a bunch of mouths to feed in my house. But those are the people that I think of. You know, a parent, it's one thing for a person to go hungry. It sucks if you have to go hungry. But to look at the face of your children and realize they're not getting healthy meals. 
that that is that is devastating to a parent, especially when it's a parent that is working very hard. When you have a parent that sits and looks in the mirror and says, I am doing the right thing. I go to work every day. I do my job. I've taken a second job. I'm doing everything I can. I don't have anywhere to turn, and I don't know what to do. And my children are hungry. And it's something we should be focused on, and we should be doing whatever we can to stop from happening. And I'm anxious to see what this plan looks like moving into 2023. We should be looking forward to great things ahead. And I hope that's the turn that ends up happening. Coming up in just a few moments, um, Elon Musk suspends five journalists from Twitter and the country loses its mind. We're going to talk about that coming up in just a moment. And strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Well, way up north where the air gets cold, there's a tale about Christmas that you've all been told. Hey, Merry Christmas on the Mike Broomhead Show. We appreciate you spending some time with us. Um, I've been watching the Elon Musk takeover of Twitter. I've been fascinated by it. And uh, what I'm fascinated by is the number of people that are outraged at what he's doing. He's not doing anything any different than the previous owners of Twitter did. He's just doing it to a different group of people. That's what is hysterical here. You know, they they take down uh, Donald Trump's Twitter account, but Vladimir Putin stays up. Um, you know, it's like when you go to YouTube, they stop. They want to stop things that are violence like guns. And there are certain content that they don't allow up on their platform. But you can still watch terrorists cut somebody's head off. It's it just interesting at what they find to be offensive. So what's happened is there have been a number of journalists that have been suspended by Elon Musk. And what the world is saying is because they've been critical of Elon Musk. So I want you to hear a little bit. This is Andrew Dimebert from ABC talking about how this started. The way- wave of suspensions comes on the heels of Musk's move earlier this week to permanently ban the at Elon jet, a Twitter account that tracked the location of his private jet using publicly available data, despite saying last month he would leave the account up as part of his commitment to free speech. So that was the beginning of it. So why were these journalists suspended? Musk wielding his power as CEO to suspend several well-known journalists. However, some of those accounts he temporarily axed from Twitter include people who have been critical of him. Now, Musk did tweet that these moves were not retaliation against journalists. And who cares if they are? It's his. He spent $40 billion on this company. If he says, I don't like what you're saying about me, I don't want you on this platform, you're gone. I don't normally, there are very few people relative to the interactions I have on Twitter, but I always reserve the right to block people. When you start getting vulgar and when all you do is hateful things and you say terrible things to me, I block you. Is that, am I limiting your free speech? No, I just don't want to look at what you have to say. Go speak your mind somewhere else. He owns the platform. He has a right to do what he wants with the platform. It is so funny that they pushed down the Hunter Biden laptop story. That's an admission. That That's not a theory. That's not a conspiracy theory. They did it. So did Facebook. They made sure that it was pushed down. Russian misinformation and all this other stuff. They pushed down what was a major story involving the son of the president of the United States. There's no doubt they did that. They did it. The COVID-19 stuff, the things they did to people that questioned the vaccines, they gave alternatives. 
alternative, again, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin. If you were online pushing that, you were either pushed off, suspended, or they put a big disclaimer about false information. They did all of this with the old owner, old ownership. Where were all of these journalists questioning the that? Where were all of the people screaming and yelling that you can't do that? It's freedom of speech. You've got to let people talk. I even said then, listen, private company, you want to ban the president? A former president, you have every right to. It's your platform. You own it. Do what you want. I still have the right to free speech. I just don't have the right to say it there. That's all. And Elon Musk paid, what, $40 billion or whatever it was for this company. He can do, if he wants to drive it into the ground, if he puts out a tweet today that says, it's over, everyone. I'm done with Twitter. Best money I ever spent. Cancel and shuts the lights off and cancels the platform. He's not doing anything to limit free speech in this country. He's shutting off his business. I just don't under it's so funny to see people outraged. Keith Olbermann. Now, listen, if you're a, a sports fan, I love Keith Olbermann. Keith Olbermann on Sports Center was one of the funniest people. Him and, and Dan Patrick together were television gold on that platform. They were amazing. Keith Olbermann has, I don't care that he's liberal. There's a lot of people that are very liberal that I'm close friends with. He's just an angry guy that says hateful things. And he says things that are just as hateful as some of the other people on the right that got blocked by the previous ownership at Twitter. He says inflammatory, hateful things about people. And it happens all the time. And this is the reason why I laugh at this. Nobody cares what happens to me and I don't blame them. I've had hateful things said to me, veiled threats, whatever. I don't care. It's Twitter. It's not a real place. It's a, I just point out the fact that you're a grown adult with an anonymous name, slappy 682, wherever you are, making big statements and being tough on Twitter. I call them keyboard warriors and I laugh it off. But if somebody gets vulgar and somebody just gets nasty, I block them. What's the difference? There is no difference. I just don't want to see what you have to say anymore because you're not contributing anything productive or constructive to the conversation I have. And if you look at my Twitter account, by the way, it's at Broomhead KTAR, you'll see that I have interactions with people that disagree with me all the time. I certainly don't mind even spirited, angry disagreement. I'm not going to put up for name calling, not going to put up with anger and screaming and yelling, and especially people with vulgarity. I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to. And I'll give people a warning, then I block them. And that's my prerogative on my account. Well, guess what? Elon Musk owns the entire platform. If he doesn't want you on there, he reserves the right to say you can't be on there. So and then when people talk about free speech and he wants to be the arbiter of free speech and everything else, right, just like the previous ownership said the same thing and they were full of it, too. Now, again, I came on the air and said they have every right to block the former president if they want to. It's their platform. They can block anybody they want to anytime they want. I didn't agree with it, but they had a right to. Same thing here. Should you block these people? Why? Let them make fools of themselves. Who cares? But it's not my platform. Elon Musk has his right to block whoever he sees as unfit, just like previous ownership. And the fact that we are now seeing journalists lose their mind because it's happening to some of their own shows me some of the funniest things I've seen in media in a long time. Coming up in a moment, we're going to go back to a topic of education. 20%. 20% of American adults struggle 
to read. Going to talk about one specific thing in Mississippi, the numbers there, but it's a problem all across the country. We're going to dissect it next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Yuletide carols. Hey, thanks for being here. Christmas classic. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy holidays to everyone out there. Hope you're having a great plan for the upcoming holiday. My favorite time of year. Some topics still to cover before we close it out today. And this one I've talked about once before, and it's about schools. So I want to start with Arizona first. And it's, this is not about the classroom as much as it is about the schools. Arizona is going to invest $6.75 million to expand the free school meals program. And it's interesting because the Gilbert Public Schools, I love this picture on this story. Gilbert Public School Board tastes what it feeds kids. So here's a couple of quotes. I've been here for a long time, and I don't think we've ever really had a taste test that work study ever before. That superintendent said it's something we never had, and it gives a deeper inside look at what nutrition services goes through. Um, and I'm not – listen, kids got to eat. I, I, this is not a part of the bigger topic, but we understand that there are a lot of issues that schools face. And there's you know, the numbers game. They're talking about whether or not we are going to get this override done so that the money that's invested in public schools can actually get to the public schools. But even then, we have a lot of people saying, especially from the teacher organizations, that they are underfunded. And this is where I would say as a parent more than ever that people should be – and it's a taxpayer, but as a parent especially, you should be asking the school districts, okay, if you are strapped for cash, if you don't have money for teacher raises and you don't have all of these things for teacher retention, show us what you're spending money on. Maybe we can help. Maybe we can find a way to cut out some of the unnecessary things, not that they aren't valuable to some degree, unnecessary because if you truly believe that teachers deserve more money, let's see if we can't find a way in your budgets. And I can guarantee you this, that there are a huge number of school districts that want you nowhere near seeing how money gets spent sometimes. I'm not saying that they're being illegal. I'm just saying that this is where the concerns come. For me, I'm sure I will never get elected to a school board, but this statistic, a fifth of American adults struggle to read why are we failing to teach them um, in Mississippi in this group where a third of adults struggle to read? And it talks about people that can't even understand their bills. They cannot comprehend their bills. There is a woman that has, that teaches adults how to read. She wants to retire, but she stays open because she said people can't comprehend their bills. So many of them are ashamed and they, that they haven't finished grade school. And as a as a society we should be ashamed of ourselves uh, listen i was a terrible student i've told this story so many times i was a terrible student in high school my parents divorced i was the oldest of three boys no one was going to tell me what to do i wanted to grow up i wanted to work i got my first job at 12 as a bus boy i just wanted a way out i just wanted out of the situation i was in 
Then when I turned 15, my, my parents were already divorced, and I lied on a job application to get a job in a restaurant. And at 15 years old, 16 years old, I was working about – I was working almost full-time at 15, 16 years old in a restaurant and just thought I had the world by the tail. I was making a lot of money for a 16-year-old, but not a lot of money to support yourself with no future in mind whatsoever, living hand-to-mouth, paycheck-to-paycheck, day-to-day. That's what I did as a kid, my choice. It wasn't until I got into a trade that I realized that if I want to make a living, if I want to do something, I can. It's in front of me. I can do this. I like this. And it made me change the way I approach learning. But what I brought with me was the skills to learn. You understand that that's the key. That you should have that tool belt on you at all times. So when it's time to use a tool, you have it in the tool belt. It's one of the things we used to say on job sites. If you steal from us, don't steal our tools. If you steal, if you steal the money out of my wallet, I can make more money. But if you steal my tools, I can't do anything. If we aren't giving young people the tools to learn. Now, you're going to have some kids that are excellent students. It's easy for them in high school. They go on to college. It's easy for them there. There are other people that are dedicated that know exactly what they want to do. So they buckle down and they work hard and they work harder than other people to get good grades to qualify for a college education. And you get some students by whether it's circumstances at home or whatever's going on with them personally, they're kind of floundering in school when they get into high school and they don't know what they're going to do. They barely graduate. They go to work and doing something meaningless for a while and they're kind of aimless in what's going on in their life. But if they have the tools, if they have the basics, if they can perform math skills, if they can read, they can dig themselves out of a bad situation at any time in their life. I've had two careers in my life, two. I started as an electrician at 18 years old, and then in my, how long ago that was? It was in my 40s, I believe. Um I made the permanent switch. Maybe it was 30s, my late 30s. I made the permanent switch to radio. And I'll tell you that if I didn't have the basic skills of reading, I never could have done it. The math skills it takes to be an electrician, the calculations that are done in order to figure out the the ampacity and the size of an electrical service, the uh, conduit sizing and wire sizing, um, uh, using voltage drop and distance, all things that are probably foreign to most of you, um, trying to figure out using geometry to bend conduit and to do things like that. You have to be able to perform those skills. You can't write up a proposal. You're going to do a job that's going to be, you know, in my case, for my the jobs. I did, you're going to do a job for somebody that's 100,000 plus electrical on a job and you're not going to know how to write a job proposal. People are going to think you're idiotic. If you can't spell, if you can't read, if you can't read a blueprint, if you can't read a contract, you're sunk. You are sunk. I had the ability to learn. These people in this story don't. People in this story can't read their bills. They can't read a manual on a machine that they are there to operate. Someone's got to read it for them. You are tying one hand behind their back and telling them to go out and make a living. And this is what we're doing, not everywhere, but this is what's happening in education. So when we argue about schools in Arizona, when we argue about what's going on in the school districts in Arizona, this should be the argument. Where are you on making sure third graders can read at grade level? And what are you doing to get to 100% if you can? And where are you with eighth graders in math? And what are you doing there to make sure they're getting there as well? That should be the litmus test in every district. Everything else falls under those two things. 
and that's not the case in some places. The politics of education is ugly, and I hate it, and it's one of the things that's ruining education for kids. In a, in a moment, we go back to crime and punishment. The NYPD is losing officers in droves, according to a headline. Why? They're going to smaller towns for better pay. This is a lesson that big cities in Arizona better learn. We'll talk about it more next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Christmas on the Mike Broomhead Show. We appreciate you spending some time with us. Happy Hanukkah. Happy holidays to everyone. Um, and what would Christmas be without Run DMC? Let's be honest, right? Um, appreciate you spending some time with the show as always. Getting us in the Christmas spirit. Going from the classics to some of my favorites and some of ours. So great job, Ed, as always. Um, interesting when we talk about crime and punishment and policing. Policing is no different as an industry than other places when it's about risk and reward. And I'll tell you, they are a different breed, much like teachers. I will say educators are a different breed. Teachers know they want to be teachers. It's a calling more than anything else. It's not just a job. It's a calling. And they don't do it for the money, but that doesn't mean that they don't need to be paid, that they don't need to be sufficiently paid and supported in what they do. And, and just like anybody else at a job, it isn't always the money. I'll be honest with you. I work for a company. I've never been happier working for a company than I am working for the company I work for now. And I'm pretty honest about stuff. If I wasn't happy, you'd know it. I would, I would make that clear. I am happier here than I've ever been anywhere else. And I will tell you, being respected and feeling like you're valued at work is worth a lot. That doesn't mean I don't want to get paid. That doesn't mean I don't have an expectation of what I'm going to be paid for what I do based on the value of what I do. But it does factor in when you're in a job that where you love the people you work with and you love the people you work for. And it's no different in any other industry. So when you have teachers or it's cops or it's firefighters, if they are feeling as if they are not respected, number one, respected, and number two, valued, they'll go somewhere else. NYPD is seeing police officers leave the New York City Police Department. They are leaving in droves, and they are going to smaller towns in New York or across the country, and they are taking more money to do it, and they're living a better life. And they're still doing the job they love. Phoenix. Peoria, Glendale, Scottsdale, bigger cities in Arizona, Mesa, which is a very big city, Chandler to a certain degree is a pretty big city. You got to take a look around. When you look at some of the smaller cities that are growing the way they are, the Avondale, Surprise, Buckeye, when you're looking at how these smaller towns are growing, I guarantee you they're going to start recruiting in your backyard because they're going to say we're going to pay you well, but the level of respect, we need you in leadership, we need your skill set. It is something that's got to be considered. And the other part of it is because it's not just management in the police departments that gauge that give them that gauge. It's city management. If city management is setting things up and it makes the police officers feel like they're not being respected. And a lot of it isn't just, you know, policies at the city council level. It has a lot to do with equipment. It has a lot to do with making sure that they're well equipped. I know in the Phoenix uh, Fire Department, you know, they're getting ready to spend a ton of money. I think it's over $7 million. Yes, $7.8 million to hire more firefighters. But you have to equip them. 
You got to have enough firehouses. You got to build firehouses. You got to make sure that the trucks that they work out of are operational or in good order. You know, there was a time when we were talking, and I don't know what it's like now. They may have fixed it, but there were a lot of there was a lot of their equipment that wasn't working properly. There were some of their trucks that didn't have air conditioning. And you know what's interesting about that is I got a message from somebody once when I mentioned that that some of the Phoenix Fire Department vehicles didn't have air conditioning in their trucks, and they said, "Oh, boo hoo! I've been driving around the valley. I work in construction, and I don't have air conditioning in my truck." And I responded in a way that it just the, the not anger, but the statement came from a place of ignorance. I don't think they were bad person. They just don't get it. When you're fighting a fire and you're in full turnout gear, which I've never been in, but you're in full turnout gear and you are in a fire situation, it's not 120. You know, it, it double that. Whatever it is that they are, they are in a life or death situation just from the heat. The only respite they get is the cool of the fire truck. So it's a life or death situation for them. When you've got to call out another piece of equipment because equipment on your truck isn't working, it wastes time in a critical situation. That's the thing about being a firefighter or a paramedic or somebody in the fire department. When You, you may have some downtime between calls for service, but when you're called out, generally speaking, it is a critical incident. Your car's on fire. How many times have you seen, have you all seen a car fire? You see how quickly it goes from smoke under the hood to full engulfment, that it's fully engulfed in flames. Black smoke, dangerous, nasty, toxic, and a gas tank that could rupture and explode. How quickly you want those firefighters to get there? What about your home? Kitchen fire turns into a full-blown house fire. Someone in your house has a medical emergency. One of your kids begins to choke. In my family, my mother-in-law had a stroke in our house on a Saturday morning, and the fire station wasn't that far from our house, and it felt like an eternity getting her the help she needed. So we have to look at public safety differently. And if we don't, if we are not, and I'm saying we as voters, as citizens, we have to be the ones that drive the need for public safety. That we should be the people standing up and holding people accountable that run for the decision makers and say, you told us public safety first when you ran. You put it on your signs. You had it on your bumper stickers. You had it on your mailers. Well, now these are the things public safety desperately needs. The police department needs manpower. The police department needs equipment. The police department needs all of these other things. And so does the fire department. If you really mean it, when you say public safety first, show us. Fully fund what they need in the next budget. Then we'll worry about all the other stuff behind that. Let's see you prioritize. We see if they will. Got to talk about the economy. What we're going to do in the final hour of the show is we're going to talk about the economy as many seniors are going back to work. It is another sign of what's happening. We're also going to talk about Senator Simmons' immigration bill, dead on arrival. Right now it's not happening. And, of course, we do Did You Hear This? It's all a part of the final hour of the show. So please stick around.